Well, uh, my name is Monica Quitiba, and I am one of the co-founders of Latinos in Clinical Research. And today we have the pleasure to have uh, our uh, special guest, Isabel Brutman. She has an amazing story uh, of a career. She started as a clinical research coordinator, and now she is a senior a clinical research coordinator, and not just that, but she's doing her PhD. So yes. here she is. <laughs> thank you so much. First of all, I want to say thank you to all, all you guys that are out in the platform, all the people I know. Um, thank you for the love, man. You know, it's it's greatly appreciated. And uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm here to, to give you the best uh, shot that I have, wherever I can to answer questions and the best of my ability. All right. So, Isabel, how uh, tell us about your career story, how you started, and uh, why you choose research. What, what was the path uh, in, uh, for you to start in research? Okay. Well, first of all, um, you guys know as well as I do that getting into research is very, it's, it's a long journey. It could be challenging. However, um, perseverance is the key. It really is. Um, I always tell people that I talk to, especially young, uh, you know, young, young adults that are interested in research. How do I get into research? Is there a connection? Do you have to have a foot in the door? Well, it's yes, yes and no to both questions, really. It's not only contact that somebody you may know in the field, but it's also really perseverance because, you know, it's being, being there at the right place, right place and the right time, really. And so I said to myself, well, you know, before I got into research, I had been in the private sector for many, many years working for doctors for many, many years. I started with EMS, um, working as a cadet, as an EMT. So, and then I started branching out, just trying to work into the clinical uh, aspect of it. I worked in the hospital for many years as a lab tech. So as I started acquiring my skills, what I tell people is that if you have an opportunity to learn something and you're passionate about learning it, you have to do it because that's in the long run, it's going to benefit you in the long run. It really is. So as you start putting your skills together, I always think that working in the field versus theory, it's better because then when you put theory to it, you understand it better. Right. So before I got into actual research, I was already working with in the medical field with pri in a private sector with doctors. And so one day, you know, I really didn't even know uh, how really actually really didn't know much about research until I, I just happened to, uh, by accident, get into I'm in it. Zoom, right? oh, and so uh, I started working actually with PPD as a PRN, oh, way back in the day when I first started going to college, I was going to uh, Austin Community College, and I was just doing PRN work. Uh, what got me there? Well, I had some skills because I already knew how to do vital signs. I already knew how to do blood work. And so I was just doing PRN while I was in school. Then I, I, then I started again, I started working in the private sector with doctors. And one of my doctors, one of the doctors that I worked for told me one day, he said, hey, Isabel, I'm, I'm, I'm going to sell my practice and I'm going to uh, go to Greece. I said, okay. And I was, he was a podiatrist and I was his right-hand person. I basically ran his office. And uh, I said, well, I need to start looking for work. You know, <laughs> simple as that. And I just stumbled upon a lab tech position um, with uh, 
is, is, it was premiered with Cyrix in the past with Cyrix. And I said, well, why not? Let me just get into it. So I got into huh? as a laptic, really, as the night shift. And Premier was both a CRO, a CRO and a clinic. So we had, we had, uh, we had actually uh, um, 24 hour, you know, dorms. We had clinical trials for 24 hours for inpatient and outpatient. So I started as a lab tech um, with Cyrix. And going back to what I was saying, the skills that I acquired before I got into research really helped me a lot because I got into as a lab tech. So one of the key questions is, well, how can you get in? You get in however you can and get your foot in the door. Even if it's something that, you know, you're not really sure about, but you, you know, for example, an office assistant or whatever, you wanna get your foot in the door somehow with a research company. Once you build your relationship with that company, then you wanna start reaching out about what you can do within that company. Okay, if I wanna become, you know, uh, clinical coordinator, if I want to become a, a CRA, what are the steps that I need to, to achieve that goal? Well, then you have to start thinking about what you need to do. And, you know, often, oftentimes people ask me, well, when do you sleep? I say, oh, I'll sleep. <laughs> I, I get three or four hours of sleep, maybe five. But as long as you're able to manage your schedule accordingly to what you want, because the end result is going to be this. If you really want to achieve this goal, you got to do everything that you, you can in your power in order to get there. So you, you acquire whatever skills you can to get you to the goal that you want. Um, you there? Are you guys there? Oh, yeah. Yes. We're yes. Here. yes. Oh, yes, yeah. I didn't see that. It went blank <laughs> on me. It went blank. So you, you, yeah, it was there. So you really want to achieve, you know, get as much as experience in any area that you can, because in the long run, they will benefit you when you get into research. Um, well, I have people have asked me, well, it's really hard to get into research. It's really hard to get into a CRO. Yes, it is. But a lot of times it's, it's how you build yourself and your skills to get there. And you never, you always network, 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 because one day you will come across somebody that's going to say, okay, you know what? I think we do have an entry-level position. So if you can get into an entry-level position with a company or any kind of clinical research, that's the way to go. If you work for a doctor in a private sector and you're a clinical coordinator, that's the way to go because eventually that experience is going to get you where you want to be, right? Uh, being Becoming a senior CRA was a long journey for me because I could have done this maybe many, many years ago, but we also have to think about life, life and balance, right? Family life and balance. So... I wasn't ready back then to become a CRA the way I wanted to become because I knew that the demand of the position is, is, is great. Uh, you, you're working all the time. You have to be able to balance both life and your work. Uh, but when I got to the point and I said, you know what, my kids are old enough to, you know, to, to be okay. They're in high school or I'm good to go to travel. I'm good to travel now. Then I went ahead and I, and I uh, pushed forward. However, in between that time, I was developing skills as much as I could to be proficient at whatever I was doing. So when the time came, they go, what do you have to contribute to become a CRA? Well, uh, I can do this, that, and the other. And when I'm a CRA and I'm reviewing records, I have that extra skill to say, you know what? I have an x-ray license. So guess what? I'm able to see x-ray documentation. I'm able to see you know, what's required to have uh, an x-ray facility and what is required to do this. Oh, I... 
am able to understand lab because I used to be a lab tech for so many years that I've understand the lab process. It's not like when uh, some some may become CRAs and fortunately uh, how they how they train is that they read the protocol, they read the numbers, and you just follow the data. Okay, you know you have to follow this parameter, this parameter. But do they really understand what they're reading? Whereas if you have the skills in the background and, uh, uh, ahead of time and to achieve all those skills, that by the time you do become a CRA, you'll be able to make the connection. Not just say, okay, blood pressure is 120 already. Oh, I know what that means now because I've had the background and the skill to, to demonstrate that I can do it or the proficiency that I can do it. So I think it connects in a way that not just only acquiring the skill to get to achieve your goal, but to understand what you're doing. So the more, the more skill that you can get in any area, the better it is going to be for you. So when you do attack that, that position that you want, it's going to, it's going to work for you. I don't know what happened here. Give me a second. We're we're seeing you. Camera, we're seeing we you. can hear you, but we can't see. Okay. Oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Because I had, I had an incoming phone call, so I had to decline it real quick. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I, I'm always learning. Um, if I want to do something, if one, if I want to learn how to do this, well, I already know how to do IVs, but I'm just using as an example. If I want to learn how to become good at what I do as far as a lab, a lab tech, then when I'm at work, I give it 110%. You know, I, I want to be good at what I do, be passionate at what I do so that um, I can demonstrate that I can do it. Right. Mm. So I always say, if you want to learn something, do it. If you want to be, for example, in an oncology study and uh, you want to learn more about oncology because you want to one day get into an oncology study, if you get into the research realm, then go out to, you know, go to the websites like, um, you know, um, um, MD Anderson, all these cancer websites. And a lot of them, believe it or not, have tools that they can provide for you there for free that you could learn and join and become one of the members there, just like, just like we do with Latinos in research, we want to be able to network with Latinos in research or want to get a little group together, become a team, become a little family so that we could expand and try to get more Latinos into research. Well, same thing with any other affiliation. Join something that you're interested in so that you could learn from there. Get free training. There's a lot of free webinars. There's a lot of free trainings. I mean, look at Dan. Dan's providing a lot of resources for all the ones that are interested in research. Take advantage of those opportunities because that's what's going to make you stronger in the long run if you want to become and achieve your clinical research mastery, let's say, in whatever position you want to be. Yeah, thank you for that. I always talk about the importance of being a generalist, and I think you're kind of like a living embodiment of that. Um, I don't know if you've, Isabel, if you've ever worked for a sponsor, but I got a question um, what's the main differences? And maybe you know somebody who has worked at a sponsor, if you haven't. What's the main differences between working for a, like a major CRO and working directly for a sponsor? Do you have any info on that? I've never worked for a sponsor, but I've uh, definitely, I think I've interviewed a couple of times with sponsors and I really don't see much of a difference. The only thing is you're, you're part of them. So which means that you're part of them so you can't really branch out to anything else because you're, you're catering to, to whatever your sponsor wants. And the, the objectives and the, the jobs when it comes to CRAs, whether you're a CRA or QA auditor, are going to be the same. You know, some may have more stricter um, uh, rules 
because sponsors tend to have a little bit more stricter rules in, in how they want their, their documents or how they want their process or their protocol to be run. So you're basically following the protocol, right? They have specifics. When you're with a, with a sponsor, I think they just have a little bit more stringent rules. Uh, not that the CROs don't, we all do. They just have a little diff, they just want to be a little bit different in that aspect. But in regards to the, the duties and the tasks, I think they're the same. Uh, some, some you have more than others. But the good thing is that, you know, not to be negative about it, you need to be positive about it. Because we, if you're ever in a position where you say, wait a minute, I, they're giving me like more job tasks. That's not part of my job. You know, <laughs> if, you know, people say that's not part of my job. I got this extra duty I need to do. Well, you know what? Take that with a grain of salt because that extra duty that you're doing that is not part of your job is going to make you more skillful in your, in your arena, in your area. And then that's, you have the ammunition to, to provide when you have interviews. Oh yeah, well, you know, we're responsible, but I did all these duties that normally a project manager does. But guess what? I could also do it because I've been trained in that area. So take that to the grain of salt. Don't don't let that weigh you down. Yeah, okay. We all have a we all wear 10, 10, 10 15 different hats. Learn from it. Learn from it and roll with it. Because when the time comes and you want to get a position that you want, you will get there because you have so much versatility and so much skill that they don't even have a choice other than to say, well, I don't know if I can afford you or not. But you know what? You do have the skill, right? So Take it to the exactly. ground salt, you know? Exactly. And <laughs> also, I would add, put that on your resume. Or on yes. Your because, like, nobody's going to know you did that unless you get to the interview. And you're only going to get one interview for every, like, 10 people that actually see your CV. If you have experience. If you don't have experience, it's more like one to 50. So make sure you put that on your CV so you can get your foot in the door. But the, the more, the better. Especially even volunteer service. Well, uh, like there's positions like, you know, a lot of time before you go to a senior CRA role, senior or whatever, or, or just a CRA role, you have to go up the ladder. There's some people that do not go up the ladder. And fortunately, they get to where they need to be. But do they know everything that goes underneath it? No, that makes you a stronger leader, because by the time you become a CRA and they say you want to become a clinical manager or lead, that's going to make you a stronger leader because you already know the ladders that it took you to get there and you know the experience that you have for each of those positions that took you there right so it's always good to to put everything that you can you know have confidence in yourself you have to have confidence in yourself and in your skill that you can say you know what i can do this and how well this is how i can do it because i've done this this and that oh by the way i've never had a budget uh experience in regards to research, but I volunteered for 20 years for an organization that I was a budget in the contract person for that uh, nonprofit organization. And I did all the books and all the budget for that. So don't you think that that would even give you the, the extra strength to, to motivate to say, wait a minute, she never worked in research and budget, but she can show me that she can do all this stuff. And she volunteered for organizations that provided that for her. So you want to make sure that don't knock yourself short. Any skill that you have that you think is going to utilize you to get to where you need to go, you need to emphasize on that skill and broaden it. And so when they ask you the questions, you need to be able to have confidence to answer the question. Uh, oftentimes, we also have, uh, I know almost all of you guys have gone through this. How, much, how many times have you prepared for an interview? And you prepare, and you prepare. And you're looking at all these little websites of how to answer questions. What are they going to tell me when they ask me? How am I going to answer this question? And nine times out of 10, everything that you study, they never, they never ask you. They just throw a wrench in the program and, and ask you something else. 
I've been in those situations. I've practiced so hard for interviews. And sometimes when I practice, I never get those questions that I think they're going to ask me. So the end result there is be yourself. If you don't know the answer, so I don't know the answer to that because I've never been in that predicament. But if I was, this is the plan that I would think that would strategize, that would think that would work. And, and just by saying those kind of words to your interviewee is going to say, well, wait a minute, at least she has a plan. At least they have a plan on what the process would be. So uh, don't cut yourself short. Get as many skills as you can acquire. If you're passionate about doing something, learn it, get a certification, join membership, network with people, and then uh, you'll get in. Uh, I think I, Christina Nero, she's, she's on the line, right, Christina? I, she said, she's an awesome coordinator, by the way, just like Monica and just like everybody's I, I had run across uh, through my uh, journey here as a researcher. Um, and I used to be, would push her. I said, don't give up. You're an excellent, you're an awesome person. You'd be a great CRA one day. And she has so much potential. And I told her to keep on persevering. And I think where she's at now, I think she's already with my company, PPD. Isn't that right, Christina? I know she's in there. <laughs> But uh, having said that, you know, you just you just got to keep on. Uh, you can't give up. You just got to keep on pursuing whatever it is that you want to pursue. If you see something in, in, in a job description that you don't have. Find a way to get, achieve that skill mm -hmm. so that you can add it to your resume. Uh, Isabel, if you don't mind me asking, um, out of, you know, all you have so much background, right? Um, out of all your experience, uh, what's been your, I guess, your most favorite position, like the most you got out of or like the more, most growth you probably received? I think being a CRA is, is the top of the line for me. I love, love being a CRA because, because being a CRA gives you an opportunity to be a leader, okay? Um, you manage so many sites. You're always managing depending on whatever studies you have, you're always managing sites. And if you're passionate about leadership, if you're passionate about uh, making sure that you provide the tools that you do have so that the, every site can be successful in the clinical trials, that's, that's what, what, what I think is the best for me because I love people. I love interacting with uh, you know, the investigators. I love interacting with the coordinators. And if I can give them all the tools that I can so that they can be successful in their trial, I will do everything in my power to give them those tools. And I, I, I get a lot of satisfaction doing that because I think that in the future, especially if you're motivating young minds, young, young you know, men and women, uh, that's going to give them that key to, to be successful and to not to ever give up on what their dreams are, right? You want to be able to push people. Uh, as a leader, I would like to have a group of people that I can train under my wing for whatever reason with CRA or, and then give them all the tools that I can give them, you know, pick brains from everybody. We, we all learn from each other. If I can pick your brain, if I can pick Dan's brain, if I can pick Monica's brain and learn a little bit from each of us, that's going to make empower you to, to kind of put your own plan together and be your own success. Right. So you always learn from your colleagues. You learn, they learn from you and you learn from them. And then you become a leader, the leader that, of course, 
I would like to have a group of, you know, uh, a young generation group where I can teach them and lead them so that they can become successful and move on and not stay stagnant in one position. You know, you, 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 you teach them to learn so they can move up and continue to move up. And one day, one day, I think uh, I will would want to be a clinical manager right now. I'm, I'm, I love being a CRA. I think until the time comes where I become a clinical manager, I want to mold that group of young people that are under my wing to push them forward, to push them forward to to achieve, to reach for the skies, because there's just so many stars out there. You know, just a matter of which one you want to reach, right? So whatever star you want to reach, you want to work on that and, and you kind of manifest as much as you can as far as skills to get you to that point. You would make a great uh, clinical trial manager. And yeah. one of the things I remember about you is, and you mentioned it a little bit here, is that you're you're a very site-friendly CRA. And I think, you know, people like Monica, Judy, Chris, all the other site owners in here really appreciate that. Marjorie, Marjorie runs a room in, on Clubhouse called Keeping It Real in <laughs> Clinical Research. And um, so that's that's one of the things that I think CRAs need to actually be more mindful of is uh, how to be more site friendly. Cause at the end of the day, you're cooperating with sites. Can you talk a little bit about that and how, and why are you that way? Because I'm not there to pick a fight for no reason. You know, my job as a CRA and that's anybody's job, you know, there's a time to be a professional. You always want to be a professional, but you don't always want to go gun ho. Like you're the, you're the big dog and then get everybody on your bad nerve. You want to go out there and say, you know what? Hey, I make mistakes just like you. I don't have an answer for you, but I'll get it for you. I'll figure it out. If not, let me let me tag somebody on right now and let me call my clinical manager and get you the answer because I don't know either. You can't be one of those type of people that uh, uh, just want to pick a fight for every little thing. You, you know, your your job as a CRA is to, to give them the tools they need because not everybody is on the same page. Sometimes I don't get the memo for a lot of things and I have to figure it out or, or ask wait, did I miss the memo somewhere? Because I didn't get this memo. <laughs> you know, so if we don't know, we, we work together as a team because the objective is to work together as a team. You're responsible for so many sites and your responsibility is to make sure that you make them successful because I'm already where I need to be. I'm already the CRA that, where I'm at. I'm already where I want to be as far as my passion, my work, my job, because this is what I like to do is make sure that I give you the tools you need so that you can become successful and your site can continue to have multiple or, you know, multiple uh, uh, studies. Uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I, I can't speak for everybody else. I've always been a friendly type of person. I've always been outgoing. I'm down to earth. Um, and, you know, I, I get it. We, we, you know, we all make mistakes, you know, but we have to, we can't go with that gun hole attitude. Because if you go with a gun ho attitude, nine times out of 10, you're not going to get what you want. I don't have any problem with my sites. If I want something, I get it to them. And, and I give them whatever they need and they get me whatever I want. Why? Because when they respond to me or when they email me, I respond right away. I don't care how busy I am. My clinical sites call me at seven o'clock at night and I answer the phone. If somebody calls me right now or at seven tonight, I will answer. I don't do this. Okay, it's five o'clock. It's time for me to quit. That's it. I'm not answering no more calls. I can't wait till tomorrow. Because they were calling why? you because... on the Zoom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah, because honestly, you know, you have to think about, the, you also have to think about the time zones. I have East Coast, West Coast, Pacific. So if I'm going to shut my phone 
or my time at six o'clock. It's what, four or five o'clock in California? That's not fair because my sites may need me. They might have an emergency and they can't get to me because I decided to, you know, to go ahead and shut my computer off at five o'clock PM my time when it's still two or three o'clock in the afternoon over there. So you need to consider your sites, you need to consider their schedule, and you also need to modify your schedule because you know, you're not a CRA is going to work nine to five. Sometimes if you work all night, sometimes I don't log in till about nine o'clock in the morning. Um, maybe because I worked till six or seven, or maybe I took a call or I was doing something at seven or eight. So you have to be able to balance those, that schedule because the CRA role is demanding. I mean, <laughs> you're lucky if you have time off because you also have to think about your reports. Your reports have... Mostly all the CROs or all the companies or CRAs, they're probably on the same page with me in that most of the time you have a five-day draft to do for your report. Then you have five days for them to turn it in. And then by the time you review it, it's like 10 days. So if you have a site visit every week, like this week I had an SIV every week. Hmm. That's five reports I have this week to do that are due in five days. <laughs> so my weekends are cut short. Okay. So I still want to make sure I meet my metrics because it's all about metrics it's all about time. You know, you're not always going to be on time, but uh, you know, you forget because before you know it, the week has gone by so, so fast that you remember, oh my God, I have a draft this due today and I was on site all week. So you have to be flexible with your time and you have to understand that this job is demanding. And if you're ready for that, that type of challenge, then, then you're ready to be a CRA. Yeah, we got a question. Are you using risk-based monitoring? And if yes, how helpful has it been um, in your remote monitoring? Is this, RBM is risk-based monitoring. So I think they're talking about yeah. risk-based monitoring. Yeah, risk-based mo it depends. Everything's going to depend. Uh, everything depends on your protocol. I got a site that, that wants 100% SDV. I'll have to be on site 100%. Uh, and with COVID, it's been a challenge, right? But once they open up the okay to do it, I'm on, I'm on the road. So I am, I am going on site. I do have another study that's only 60%. Uh, risk-based monitoring is basically, you know, if, you, and this is going to, this goes good with what I said earlier. If you teach your sites, if you help your sites and you give them the tools they need to be successful, then you don't have to be babysitting every five minutes to see if they're making errors. Because they're a, they're a good site, they're documenting properly, they're giving you everything that you need. So you basically go in there and just SDV part of the time. And if they're 100% all the time, you rarely go see to the site, maybe once or twice or do a remote visit. So everything's going to depend on your protocol. You can have three studies. One can be risk-based and one can be 60% SDV and the other one can be 100% on site. It's just going to depend on what they want from you as far as the study is concerned. But we do practice risk-based monitoring at PPD. It is part of the, uh, uh, the CRA program. Isabel, it's Christine. Yes, Hi. Hi. Can you tell us a little bit about how clinical research became your purpose and where you're headed in life? Well, you know what? When I got into uh, research, I, I really enjoyed it because, because I feel like no matter what part of research you're in, what sector, what part or section that you're in in research, you think about it in the back of your mind, you know, yeah, there's, there's some people that just want to do it because they think it's all glorious, traveling and you get, you get paid well eventually with time. But to me, it's a little bit more than that. 
I'm passionate about clinical research. And when I got into it, I didn't realize that there was so much out there that I didn't discover until I became a lab tech for a clinical research company, right? And so the the back of my mind basically uh, brought me to the conclusion that this is going to be for me because I'm passionate, one, about healthcare. I'm passionate about patient care. I'm passionate about what we can bring innovations into to the world so that we can you know, have preventatives for disease. We're never going to find cures in some situations, but we can have preventatives. And my background is in infectious disease. So I care about infectious disease. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm working on my PhD to become an epidemiologist in public health. I have two classes to go. I did take a break, mind you. I had to take a break because for whatever reason, this my classes don't start now until May. But I have two more classes to go before I start my dissertation process. And it's been hard. <laughs> it's been hard. I should have finished this a long time ago. But, you know, we have life. We have our journeys in our life. But you have to persevere. So I like research. And the passion that I got for research is because I love preventative medicine. I like the innovations that are coming in into medicine so that we can help not only ourselves, but our future generations, our loved ones for situations like people that have cancer. I have a lot of family members that have cancer, that have different diseases. And I, I, you know, I get a little bit frustrated because I want to be able to help them. I want to be able to find something that, that will prevent them from, you know, prolong their life, for example. Right. So that's why I like it, because I believe in innovation. And I believe in the sciences. Yeah. Can you give us, I don't know if you mentioned it earlier, but I know when you came to our site, it was central nervous system. And then you went to Christine, it was ophthalmology. And so can you kind of give us background of um, your therapeutic expertise? And um, like, were you ever strategic about how you developed that skill set? Yes, I want to get as much skill set as I can, because the more skills you have in different therapeutic areas, the better, more of a golden ticket that you will become. You can't just stick to one. Uh, so whenever they give you a study, you take it. You take it and you learn from it. Uh, what helps us, what helps some of, the, some of us that are in the research industry is, is that if you have a background, any kind of a medical background, for example, then that helps you understand the therapeutic uh, therapeutic, uh, 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 the therapeutic studies a little bit better, but I, if I had an opportunity to take every single thing that I can, I'll, I'll join that study. I think the only thing I do not have in my background right now is cardiology. Uh, but I do have a lot of CNS, mental illness, I have pediatrics, oncology, rare disease, which is now a little golden ticket for me because the industry wants you to be current. If, for example, if you want to do oncology, and you've done oncology as an in-house CRA and you're not traveling or as a, you know, you know, a specialist, um, a project specialist, sometimes that doesn't count towards you as far as the travel part of it, as far as monitoring is concerned. It does count for you as research because they can see that you have that therapeutic background. But most, most often, if you're anticipating or want to become a CRA, you want to have traveling background in as much therapeutic areas that you can because that doesn't only give you a key to success, but it keeps you employed in a sense because you're able to, they, they're, they're able to dispatch you anywhere you need to go. Isabel, guess what? 
As a matter of fact, as we speak, one of my line managers, study managers asked me if I would go do a closeout visit. I had no idea that it was in my study. I thought it was for one of my studies. <laughs> and they go, I said, well, which study is it? Well, it's still, it's still the, your Moderna study, but it's not your study. It's a different study. I said, oh, okay. So I, I volunteered for it like today. <laughs> so I'm on my way to Puerto Rico Friday. So I'm leaving to Puerto Rico on Friday to do a closeout visit. Uh -huh. So now I have to learn what I need to do. So I have to make sure I get everything right when I get there Friday. But you become skillful in your in your line of work that when you actually go do another, you know, uh, help somebody else to do a closeout visit or whatever, they give you the tools you need, you review it. Uh, in this case, I already have, I already know how to do closeout visits. I'm familiar with a vaccine. So I'm able to go there as an unblinded CRA to do a closeout visit. And, you know, it's not my study. I just, you could, there's a thing that they call in CRA world SWAT. I know you're familiar with it, Dan. Uh, you're, you're part yeah. of the SWAT team. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> if you can be part of the SWAT team, that's good. Because what that entails is that if you're part of the SWAT team, you're part of the team that can just get up and go when they ask you to go and you're able to do any study they give you and they provide you the, the necessary tools or the information that you need so you can review like within a day or two before your flight. And then... You take care of that that visit. So the more you have in your background, the better it is for you as far as being successful in your field, mastering what you do, and being good at it. Eventually, it all comes in play as time goes on. So I guess as we open it up for QA, and by the way, guys, put your question. And I love that everyone's putting their LinkedIn in the comments. It's amazing. Okay. This is so much better, even just coming on this Zoom and putting your LinkedIn profile link. So much better than spamming people on yeah. social media. <laughs> and doesn't it feel better too? It's just like more pleasant. But uh, so Isabel, um, as we open it up for questions, I was going to ask you, uh, it seems like, you've picked up the trait or maybe you were born with it. I don't know. Maybe we can like look into that a little bit of solving problems. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what people on, on the SWAT teams do in research. Uh, it's just problem solving. And also like there's something there with attitude and mentality of saying yes, or like defaulting to yes, instead of defaulting to no which a lot of people do. And by the way, it's a lot mm -hmm. easier to say no for anything. I give you a hundred reasons why I should say no <laughs> to most things, but um, yes, is a little bit harder. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about that and how that's helped your career? In regards to saying yes, well, there's a lot of times I want to say no. <laughs> and most me too, often, me too. But then, yeah, but then I think about, um, you know, I think about really what I, what, when I say yes, I think about a lot of things. I think about, well, they really need the, they really need the help. And if, uh, if, uh, if I feel like I'm qualified or if I, if they're asking, if they're asking you is because if they're asking you to do something is because they know that you understand the concept of what a CRA does, the concept of what happens in, in your line of work. And they know that you can comprehend what comes your way. So in a way, that's a positive thing. Uh, if you say no, it's not because you don't know. It's because one, you're too busy. It's not on your schedule. If I say no, it's because I probably have something already lined up for that day, or I can't do it because I'm already booked for whatever reason. I say yes. I say yes to, to most often because one, I feel like as as a CRA or as a researcher, that's that's what I want to do. I mean that that's that's my that's my passion. So. If somebody needs help and they have the time, 
most likely I'll say yes. And then I'll deal with my report later. <laughs> I'll deal with it. I'll deal with the 10,000 reports that I have to, oh my God, I have to do a report. Okay. So uh, then I'll deal with it later. And then I, when I get there, I think about, man, what did I say? Yes. I should have said, no, I have so much on my plate. And then, and then I can't regret it and go back because I already committed myself. So when you say yes, you got to make sure you commit yourself and you got to follow through. Otherwise, yeah, be careful with that. Yes. Don't just say trouble. yes to say you're yes. You're in trouble. Uh, Isabel, I'm, we want to teach our students better in the CRA, CRC Academy on these reports, monitoring reports, the level of detail. Okay. Can you kind of give us like an example of just how detailed you need to be on these reports. Speaking of these reports. Well, you have to be very detailed. It's, it's like, let's just say it's like being in, an, in a, a PI or invest, not PI, but an investigator. Think of it as a, as a crime investigator. When you go there, you want to be able to be sure that you, you annotate everything and you observe everything. Okay. Uh, for example, uh, they might want you to write something about the facility and the tour that you gave. So in the tour that you give, you want to be able to say, okay, I mean, I'm talking about detail. You have to go and say, well, this, you know, the site has five exam rooms. They have this in exam rooms. They have, uh, you know, these, uh, the equipment, meaning each of the room is, is, is equipped with vital signs and, you know, EKG machines. Uh, but that doesn't end there. You also have to tell them if they have space for a monitoring area, if they have the capacity to have internet, you have to ask them if, uh, if they have, uh, 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 what do you call it, an uh, ER card, a crash card there. If so, surveillance. If so, who do the contact for 24 hours if for emergency? If so, where you keep your binders? If so, who has access to the binders? So you really have to be detailed in everything, just about in everything that you can think of uh, from the space that you have available to uh, the rooms in the facility, who's an emergency contact. I mean, you really have to spell, do they, are they, do they have the facility equipped so they can conduct research? That's what you're looking for. You wanna make sure that the facility is equipped where they can conduct research. They have everything calibrated. If so, you need to collect the calibration report. If so, you need to ask them how often do they calibrate it? Every six months, every year, you have to collect calibration records. So every little thing, almost every little thing you can think of, you have to extend it to the 25th power. Okay, so I got a refrigerator. I got three, I have a, a deep freezer for minus 20. I have a backup and I have an, you know, you know, just two, two backup refrigerators. Well, that's not enough. You also have to say, really? Well, how do you keep the temperature there? How do you log it? Do you have a temperature log? Okay, so why isn't this area not filled? You need to make sure you, you, you have it filled for every day. What happens on the weekend? Is somebody monitoring what happens if it goes off? Does somebody have an access to alert system to uh, understand that somebody was a generator so it can kick in so the investigational product doesn't damage? So uh, you really have to go through every little detail and break it down. So when they ask you that question, for most of the time those questions are asked at um, doing your SIV because your SIV is one of the most important things. You go in there and you want to make sure that the site qualifies by education, by everything plus the facility, you know, there's some, there's some situations where the pharmacy is in a different location. So you got to go to a different location and find out where the drug is there and kind of interview or, or kind of know who's going to be in charge of the investigational product. So every little thing has to be, t be detailed. And most of the time, that's more in the, your SIV report, your site initiation report. And then every now and then when you do an intramontrian visit, then you do a spot check every now and then, you know, okay, so 
you know, I might have did a tour the first time. And then maybe three or four months later, after four or five visits, I might do another tour. Say, hey, hey, let me look at your temperature logs. Let me see where your drug is. I got to do inventory. And then you got to go check the drug for inventory and make sure nothing has expired. They may tell you that it expired and you take the benefit, the word of the, you know, the benefit of the value, take the word, but you still have to verify it. You know, because somebody telling you something and then verifying is two different things because we all make mistakes. You might have said, oh, I forgot to tell you that it expired yesterday. It might have been good when you went the first the first time, but when you went on the fourth or fifth meeting, maybe whatever you had their medication expired. Maybe the expiration date was five months after. So you always have to verify everything you do. And they are very detailed. Now, some some clinical managers are, are uh, more stricter than others, and some are not. Everything depends on your study team. <laughs> Which really kind are does. you going to be when you're a clinical trial manager? When I'm going to be a clinical trial manager, it's like, you know, have you had that thing where it says, okay, you make three mistakes the third time I write you up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I won't get that point because probably, probably the first time you somebody makes an error, I'm going to correct it and help you fix it. And then probably give them a break and not, they'll learn from that one. So I probably won't be that type of manager. I'll probably be <laughs> an easy manager. I'll You'll just, make you know, a great I'll, one. Yeah, this is what I'll tell them that, listen, if I get in trouble, you're getting in trouble. So do it right the first time. <laughs> I like that. We got questions coming in. What everyday okay. tools, tech, paper, and pen uh, you use to manage your work? Like, so basically, because what, what you've summarized basically illustrates, I think is a good, a good illustration of how stressful uh, being a CRA could be. You can't really have an off day. I mean, you need to yeah. be sharp every single visit. So how do you make your life, uh, I guess, more sane uh, considering that? Well, I mean, you know, you have to be able to manage your, 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 and, 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 you know, having said that, you know, besides me, you know, besides me actually working 24 seven, I mean, I'm still in school, so I have to manage that. I'm stressed out all the time, but when it's time to take a break, you got to take a break. My husband sometimes comes in here and says, Hey, take a break. I said, well, I'm busy. I can't right now. I mean, I'm, I'm in the middle <laughs> of something. I really can't. He goes, take a break. I said, okay, okay. So then I get up, go walk around, do whatever, you know, you sit around a lot because you sit around in the car, you sit around in your office, you sit around on the plane. So you have to make yourself get up. So uh, if you if you're organized from the if you get yourself organized from the beginning, then everything falls into play. You know, like I ha I keep trackers for just about everything that I want to do. And because a lot of times when you're on a site, depending on your study, like I I participated in both the first Moderna study and I'm currently on the second Moderna study that's getting ready. My, my portion of it is getting ready to end as an unblinded CRA. And most likely I might be on the third Moderna study that's the six to 11 years. So that's a very fast demanding study. So when you have like a lot of patients in one day, like 50 to 100 patients a day, a lot of times it's hard to do both. You know, you have to remember besides doing that, you're looking at every single system you have. So depending on what company you work for, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have VivaVault, you're going to have UEC Wave, you're going to have like four or five, you have the portal, the lab portal. So you have to look at all these little things before you prepare yourself for your, for your visit. You want to make sure that when you go on your visit, you're looked at everything. So you know what to address and what not to address. And then my, my, um, my way of, of um, you know, working through all that is basically preparing myself before having a plan, working on it leave it alone, take a break, go outside, I, you know, go run, go play with my dogs, do whatever, and then come back and start again. But you do need, you do, you do need to have a break in between somewhere. You have to. 
Uh, and if I work till 10 tonight, guess what? I'm not going to log in until about 930 tomorrow. <laughs> or 10. So this is a way of managing it. You That's know, still you have early. To be able to, yeah, it's still early. <laughs> but you have to manage it. You also have to look at your thousands of emails that you get every day. And then you have to kind of cipher through them and decide what's, what's urgent, what's not, what needs me now and what doesn't. But the key to this is that if you can't answer something because you have other urgent matters or other urgent emails that you have to do, then at least reply and say, make a quick reply. Say, I'm not able to do it right now, but I get to it as soon as I can. With, 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 you know, I'll, I'll call you or email you within the next business day. That, that doesn't leave them hanging. Uh, so to speak, because you will have uh, you will have some demands and you, you have to be able to pro- kind of prioritize what you want to do first and what you want to do second. So if there's something that says urgent and important, then you want to answer that. Yeah. Uh, but, but, but going back to your question, as far as how I manage is, is just uh, one day at a time, one task at a time, complete it and go on to the next one. And bird take a by break. bird, a very good book. <laughs> yeah. Andrea O'Connell says, this is a very good question to you. Uh, hello, Andrea. What do you think CRAs overlook the most during their visits? If you could ask a site to do one thing perfectly, what would it be? Uh, sending in documents. If you, Because, you know, one thing that you have to remember is that with the HIPAA going on, with all these regulations that we have, redacting information, facts, and this and that, it's getting very critical as far as patient confidentiality. So a lot of times the CRAs are not allowed, it just depends on your company, are not allowed to take copies home. They're not supposed to be bringing, you know, bringing paperwork home, you know, and then passing it from the house or whatever. It's getting a little stricter. So you have to have your side say, listen, I need this, this, that, and the other. Can you, can you send this to me through email? And if you're there on site while you're doing it, you can have them do it while you're there. And sometimes they're busy with patients, but you know, I always tell my coordinators, come see me at noon and then come see me before the day's over because I know you're busy. And when they come in, when they come at noon, I'll have uh, some documents for them. And I need these documents, can you mail them to me today? Right now, she goes, yes, if they can, if I do it tomorrow. I said, okay. But I think that's one of the hardest things because most of the time coordinators are very busy and if you don't get your documents or if you don't have a scanner to scan them while you're there, then by the time you get those documents, it might be a couple of days or a week because they also have a lot of studies. They also have a lot of patients that they're dealing with. So the best thing, that I think that's one of the biggest challenges. But I go back, I go back to what I said earlier. If you're good to your, if you're good to your sites and you teach them well and you give them the tools they need, and you answer their emails and their questions when you need to, and they ask you, and you provide the answers they want. I guarantee you 100%, your sites will give you what you want that day or send them to you before. If I know I need documents before my visit, I'll send an email to my site. Hey, listen, I'm going to be on site Monday. If you can give me these documents when, before I get there, that's great. If not, I'll collect them while I'm, while I'm there, or you can email them to me while I'm there. So... If you're good to your size in that retrospect, your size will always reciprocate to you. So that's the key, being the CRA that they want you to be and lead them the way you should lead them as, as, as site management is concerned. Naomi says uh, she would love to meet you when you visit Puerto Rico. Uh, ah. time. So and where's Naomi at? Is she uh, here? She's two squares Hi. below you, I think. 
Oh, hi, Naomi. <laughs> hi. Where are you in Puerto Rico? Where in Puerto Rico are you staying? I, I live in Gurabo, but my the office is in San Juan, so probably you're going to San Juan. If not... I'm going to go to San Yeah, I will be in San Juan. Actually, I'm going to be on San Juan. The, I'm leaving Thursday, be there Friday, Saturday. I'm not coming back until Monday. And I'm going to take those, that extra day for myself because it's very expensive to fly back <laughs> on a weekend. So I'm flying back on. I'll be, I, I would love to meet with you. Uh, yes. my, husband's, my husband's from Utuado, Puerto Rico. Oh, Utuadeño right. de la Montañero de por allá. Eso I es. love Utuado. I love, I love it. Sí. <laughs> yeah, sí. so uh, I have family. My husband's family is from Puerto Rico. So yeah, you know, you know, uh, sing me a ping or whatever. I'll give you my number. Oh, Monica, hey. give you my number and give me a call and uh, we can meet. We can meet someone for coffee or something. I know they have a curfew at 10 o'clock, right? I know the curfew. It's not. <laughs> it's a 9 p.m., but we can figure it out. It's, it's yeah, we fun. can figure it out. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. work it out. But yeah, I'll be there up until, I won't, I won't come back until Monday. So I'll be more than happy to meet with you. Thank you. This that is networking at its finest. Guys, Margot is like <laughs> waiting to give uh, <laughs> to get to the contest. Okay, but we have a few more questions. Um, scanning apps or or the bar scanner are sites sending them to a study mailbox. How does that? Uh, just really quick, if you can answer that one as no. well. No, no, you can't. That's not allowed through HIPAA violation because anybody can can get into your information, and you have to ask permission first from your sponsor and from your whatever CRO you're at, but you can get a single scanner, which I carry. It might take you a little bit longer, but if you have single documents, you can, you know, like your site visit log, whatever you can get single while you're there, while you're working, you scan them as you go and it goes straight to your mailbox, to your uh, whatever folder you have for your, your site. And that should not be a problem as long as it's approved, but you can get a single scanner to take with you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Hewitt says, even as a coordinator, you have to be good to your CRA. Yes. We can spend a whole nother hour on that. And then uh, Mari says, I'd love to meet you when you visit Finland next time. And Mari, looks like you're in Finland with your background there. Um, looks like you're in Puerto <laughs> Rico, actually. So Hi, um, my name's, I, hello, hi. I wanted to add something before I leave because I do have to cook and this is this is great networking. <laughs> um, Isabel, the information is great. I, I love how you casually fell into research. I think most of us agree here that most of us came into um, the clinical trial field, right? Casually, we just fell in here. Um, and something that really hit home for me is that you give your sites a lot, but you expect a lot from them. And I, I, I live up to that. I'm a CRA. I have 12 years of combined experience in the research field. That's, you know, I just wanted to add that. And Naomi, I'm from Puerto Rico, Ponce, Puerto Rico. So oh, I'm be in Ponce, this is great. I mean, oh, great. I'm from Ponce. <laughs> from Ponce. The site um, that I'm going to visit is in Ponce. On Friday. I hope you have a great experience, yeah. and I'm so glad to see people here from so different backgrounds. Um, this is my first meet from Latinos Clinical Research, so I just wanted to add that because I think it hits home for most of us. It's it's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for, so much. This is, this is such a great you, group. So hopefully yeah, we can meet sometime. You. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Thank Jessica. You. Unbelievable. It's your first time here. Wow. We need, we can't let that happen again. I know it's not going to happen again. I promise you, you need that. to present one of these days. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Okay. Well, so next, next, next time we probably need to talk about sites because I would ask selfishly a lot of questions about how does a site impress Isabel so that Isabel can give them more studies. <laughs> Oh. The question is, how do I get Isabel as a monitor you know for what? my site? 
Let me let me tell you what happened to me. Uh, you know, believe it or not, that the CRAs a lot of times have a lot of pulling recommendations. So when they uh, recruit sites, they're always asking CRAs, "Hey, did you have this site? I heard, I saw that you had this site, yada yada, for this study. What do you think about them?" Mm, what do you mean? Uh, are they good? Do they do they do they do great documentation? Do they are they compliance? Do they send you the stuff that you need? And nine times out of ten, and my sites do everything that they I ask them to do accordingly, and vice versa, because I also have to work with them. You know, we both work as a team because we are a team. Nine times out of ten, I will recommend my sites. And if they're rookies, or I call them wet behind the ears, so to speak, which I have a couple of them. Uh, I teach them, I get on their case for a little bit. And then after I get on their case, they love me to death. And then they'll want to learn more. But yeah, not in their case, like mean in their case, but I kind of joke around and say, listen, if you want to do this, is what you got to do. And you teach them what you got to do. You got to look good. You got to make sure you do this and that, because that's what they're going to look at. If you want to continue research and, and follow this path, do good. When you do your documentation, look for this, look for that. If I say do this, have it down with a timeline. If someone says I need it by next week, at least try to get it to them by that week. Because CRAs can be very flexible, but at the same time, you know, we don't want to have to chase you down six months later because I need a de delegation log when I asked for it a month ago. Yeah, I'll give you a break up to two weeks maybe, but then if I don't get it by the time I come in, I'll probably collect it the next visit. But uh, I think it's just your attitude, how you do it, not being condescending in a sense, but being in a way that you want them to learn because that's what I want to do. I want my sites and my girls or whoever, my coordinators, I want them to learn. I want to give them whatever I can for my brain to pass it on so they can get better what they do, become even masters, or even better than what I'm at. You know, you always say that when I have children, I want to give them everything that they want in order, in order for them to succeed. But kind of the same thing. I want to give my sites everything that I can because I don't know it all. But if I learn from all of you guys, I, I I have another skill now because I learned a little extra from y'all. This is going to make me a little bit empowerment as far as my leadership is concerned. And then this way I can provide whatever I need to provide for this team so they can grow. I want to see them grow. I want to see the Latinos grow in the sciences. Uh, I'm very passionate about how we evolve as Latinos in research. We need more. And so I encourage everybody on this platform to reach out to anybody that you can think of and, and make them part of this platform so that we can learn from each other and grow from here and, you know, help you become successful in whatever it is that you want to do. When you have somebody like Dan and Monica in the background leading this type of platform, this is advantageous for all the, all the ones that want to continue to learn. And I really challenge you to, as a matter of fact, I'm going to challenge you to try to put, bring in one or two people into Latinos in research for the next platform that Dan has. And that will keep me posted. Wow, thank you. Yeah, that's a good challenge. So that's a perfect segue. And by the way, feel free to network with um, Isabel. Yes, And uh, somebody was asking if they can ask you for studies. So LinkedIn, you know, just LinkedIn, Shanna. Uh, we all want studies as site owners for sure. Oh, but you know what? With a CRO company, what you could do is whenever you go, like for PPD, for example, or any other CRO, you'll go into the web page and there's a that there's a, they should have a tab that says for investigators only. And you can sign yourself as an investigator to, to sign up for studies. You can go in there and put your information yeah. in there. I know, I know, but it's better to go through you. <laughs> yeah. how, how much does that really work? Uh <laughs> well, yeah, that's true too. But you know, 
if if I encourage my sites to put their information in there, then when they come, when they ask me, I said, did you did you put your information in there? Yeah, then I'll I'll make sure I'll let somebody know that you're interested mm -hmm. in the study. So yep, uh, you know, it's Absolutely. always better to the the one on one connection and try to get them in by you know, by you being their CRA and you trying to push them for the studies. And it's never been mm -hmm. easier to network, guys. So it's actually a really good segue, Isabel, to what Ashley Marco is about to say. But thank you again, Isabel. It thank was a you. pleasure having you on. I know how busy you can be as a CRA and you've been very generous with your time. So thank you very much and very honest in your answers as well. I feel like we can do like two more hours. Um, but I know people thank gotta you. go and people are thank waiting you. for this giveaway. They first of all want to know all right, thank you a, so much. what I is it everybody. and <laughs> and B, how do you get it? And C, can you give it to somebody else? Um, so Ashley, you know better than I do. Um maybe you and, you, Judy, Monica, Chris, maybe give it yeah, away. Yeah. COVID? Um. COVID? That's <laughs> <laughs> it's not COVID. <laughs> And it's not the J&J &J vaccine either. No. <laughs> well, I should stop recording probably. <laughs> All right. So you guys, this is the giveaway. One of the first of many that are coming down the pipeline. So again, you know, you want to make sure that you are constantly coming to our monthly webinars as well as inviting people to come more specifically those that are trying to get in the industry, right? Um, so we are, thanks to the CRA Academy, we're gonna be giving away a CRA Academy uh, uh, sponsor, uh, sponsorship, scholarship.